0: Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, We want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, If we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram we have hope and and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, If you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community; um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So, we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either nine or ten thirty. Uh, so, we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us, and thanks again for, for joining us today. Uh, so, let's get uh, let's get started here this morning. Um, a few years ago, or actually several years ago, there was a man named Larry Walters. And Larry went to the Army surplus store and he bought 75 used weather balloons. Uh, and he went home, took them to the house, and he attached them to the back of his pickup truck that was already attached to a lawn chair. All right, so you know where the story's going. This is not in Smyrna, I promise. Uh, so he gets in his lawn chair, he sits down, he grabs a PB and J, a six-pack of PBR, um, and a fully loaded BB gun uh, gets into the chair, and then he tells his boys to take off, cut the rope, he launches like a rocket, right? Two hours later, a UFO is reported. Right, 16,000 miles or feet in the air. There's, he's three miles away from his original destination um, and a UFO is spotted. A 747 flies by and sees this man just floating around with a gun pointing at these balloons. Um, and eventually, we know that Larry was rescued. Right, They spotted him. They sent up a team. They lassoed Larry back to the earth. He gets down to the ground. Larry! Why did you do this? What's going on? What made you do this? And Larry said, Well, I just got tired of sitting around. All right, moral of the story sitting around doing nothing is not good for you. Uh, A lot of Christians, good, Lord loving people, are like lawn chair Larry, sitting around doing nothing, and it's just not good, not good for the soul. Uh, Instead of your schedules being it's really programmed around the gathering or church events. It's really more about the life, and then you plug in church when it becomes available for you, when it's easy to do that. Instead of coming and serving God's church, this is a place where you come to be served. right? Instead of being a part of a ministry, you are a consumer of ministry only. Instead of sharing your faith, you share your frustrations. Instead of being an evangelist of a gospel, you're an evangelistic person of grumbling, right? Sitting around, not doing anything, stewing up we get stale. And we say things like, God is so far from me. I really don't feel God right now, right? Now, there's a lot of reasons why we may fall into that staleness, sitting around doing nothing. The first one would be this. Well, not all the visible church is actually the church. Not all good church folk sitting around attending worship in all across the country and churches are actually saved people. So there's the first reason why people would be doing nothing. The second reason is this, a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders will fall into a, a stale drifting losing a focus of what the church is all about. Right? Some churches adopt this mentality of us for and no more and their congregation becomes the frozen chosen and they don't care about reaching people. Now the polar opposite of that is those that have in this mentality, this church practice of build it and they will come. We just build this awesome building. Right, we just go out there, all these people will come, and instead of the church mantra being come and die, it's come and see. Well, what that creates is a people that want to just come watch the show. So these are, these are dangerous places when churches and leaders and pastors drift away from the mission of God. But many times... It's not the church, it's actually the people in the church. People that do sit around and get stale, get not involved in sharing their faith, they don't share their talents, their gifts, money that God has given them, and they just sit around and do nothing. And it is a dangerous place to be, and it is not good for the soul. So we want to help you get off the sidelines. We want to help you get in the game. Be a part of the most action-filled, adventurous story ever told about God, our great hero, rescuing and redeeming his people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, defeating Satan and all his demons. This is a crazy, adventurous, most amazing story, and we want to help you get in the story and start playing a part in it. There's nothing boring about it. So the way that we're doing that at our church, we're walking through the book of John. Because we feel that if we can get in the book of John and learn who Jesus is and get immersed in the story that he's telling, we can become transformed and be in the image of Jesus. So we're walking through the book of John from womb to tomb, looking at his life, what he hates, what he loves, what stirs up anger, what stirs up delight in him. We're learning about who Jesus is. So last week... We started out in John chapter 4, or picked up in John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman of the well. Very familiar story to many people. And what we saw out of that story was a lady finding life. Jesus had set a divine appointment before the foundation of the world to show up at this moment to give this lady life. and She tasted life and it was good. She found life. Right? And that's the mission of Life Point Church. That's where our name is derived from life. John 10 John 10:10, 10, 10, right? I am the life, John 14:6. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is life. That's the mantra of Life Point Church. But it doesn't stop right there. As you'll see in the story today with the Samaritan woman, Jesus didn't just save you to secure your Future, eternal destination. He didn't just save you right now so you can have a better version of you and be happy. A polished person. He saved you to send you. To represent Him. Multiplicity. To go out and, and, and proclaim the gospel to the world to other people of the grace and the water that you've drank from. So we're going to learn that today. We're going to see this Samaritan woman who has found life and now she's living sent. That's our bottom line today, living sent. And we'll unpack what that means today. Before we get going, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to John 4. And we're going to go 27 through 42 today. And here's what I want to do. This is just kind of a, a sidebar piece that not only today what we're going to do, but anytime you walk through the Scriptures, there's a way to read the Bible. There's a way to read it. You can read it impersonally, and you can read it personally. If you read it impersonally, it's like reading a newspaper. You go through, you get the facts, right? You're distant, you're you're writing down cold truths, and yes, they're true. Uh, Or you look at it as, you have to do this, right? I've got to do my quiet time. Uh, Just go in the corner like it's a punishment thing, right? Oh, I'm sorry, God. Okay, I'll do my quiet time. We can read it like that. We can get in the corner, we can read our Bibles, we can get them out, and we can sit there And gather a lot of impersonal facts. True facts. Jesus redeems. Jesus saves. Jesus is life. uh, Jesus uh, forgives. You can walk through and jot down in our journals all these great group facts. And yet, not be transformed. We can get in it. We could take a cool Instagram picture with our Bibles and our coffee. Oh, everyone will think I'm so godly. Close our Bibles up and say, awesome. Or we can immerse ourselves in the story. We can get in and say, what is Jesus like? What is this woman like? What's the setting? Who's he talking to? That's where I believe that we can truly be transformed if we can get in the story. So I'm going to read this passage. And uh, this is not going to be on the screen. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. And then we'll unpack it. John 4, 27-42. Jesus, or just as then his disciples came back, they marveled at what he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. Eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say yet there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and, yet, and, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. All right, let me pray for us. God, we uh, desire to to embed ourselves into... Uh, this story, to read it in a very personal way, um, to allow our hearts to be dialed into what 's going on. Um, we, we must absorb them in the mind, and Father, I know that you gave us the mind to absorb these truths, but we want it to resonate in the heart, and then we can transform our lives with it. Teach us a great story about a Samaritan woman that actually is it 's us. We are the Samaritan woman. This story is intimately aware and we are acquainted with it. At least the first half. Now, Father, what she does with it, you want us to be intimately acquainted with it. What she does once she finds life. Help us to live sin like she was. And do it through the word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so let's look at this passage together. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 30. They went out of the town and they were coming to him. So originally the story begin with Jesus coming to the well at noon with his disciples. Now Jesus stayed at the well because uh, he had an appointment with the Samaritan woman. But his disciples left. They jetted into town to go get some grub. So now they're just coming back on the scene. They arrive and here's Jesus talking to this woman. And the Bible actually goes out of the way to say that no one said anything. Like there's this awkwardness that's going on. It's weirdness and they're like, this is strange. And, but they don't say anything. This woman, the tail end of the conversation, our Samaritan woman, if you remember last week, she is guilt-driven, promiscuous, five husbands she had, shame, hiding from culture, condemnation. And now this woman seems to be changing her posture. She has now been emboldened by Christ so much to the point that she gets up and runs into the town that hated her, that shamed her and guilted her. and She comes in and she says, come and see the man. Now, what's her past again, right? Five husbands. So don't you think there were some whispers, some eyes rolling in the town when she comes through and says, come and see the man. They're probably like, oh, another man? Are you kidding me? What happened to Tim, right? The next guy. She's not there's not this man this man this man told me everything I ever did. She says that twice in the story. Let me just pause right there. Listen to that. This man told me all that I ever did. That is either the most terrifying thing you've ever heard or it is the most amazing thing you've ever heard. For those outside of Christ, that's terrifying. Wow, everything that I've ever done, I can't hide my browser history from you. Really, you've seen that. You've seen my dreams, the depravity of my heart, my thoughts. There is no escaping the penetrating gaze of God. He'll see everything because Jesus is, in fact, God. We know His omniscience is being shown here. Or it's the most amazing thing ever for those that are in Christ because you know that God knows and sees all of it. All of your junk, all your messes, your shortcomings, your failures, the words that have come out of your mouth, every thought, every sense of depravity, your browser history, as I said, he's seen it all. He says, covered in the blood of Christ. Past, present, future. All of it. No condemnation. I'm never going to bring it up ever again. It's clean. Not that he forgets, but that he forgives. He forgives. That is either terrifying or amazing, right? My hope is that becomes an amazing thing for you. If it's a terrifying thing to you, your life may not be hidden in Christ. You might be trying to stand on your own righteousness, to stand before God in the hopes that He would give you access to the kingdom on what you've done. Give up, fall into the heavy grace of Jesus Christ, and let Him cover all those things. All right. So what we're going to see as we unpack living sin... Because uh, that can be a difficult thing to kind of define, right? At our church, maybe you see the signs, living scent. What does living scent actually mean? So we're going to try to uh, unpack that and define that today. The first thing I want to show you is that living scent creates an urgency for soul winning. Creates urgency. What is this lady doing? Like, she gets, she hears the story, she drops the pots of water, she drops the jar, and she just goes. Now, I think we're told that she drops the jar of water because I think the jar of water was going to slow her down from going to tell people about Jesus. I also believe that the jar, was what was very valuable to her, has now become disposable. So, as we stay there for just a moment... What might be slowing you down from telling other people about Jesus? Could it be your dreams? Could it be your fears? Could it be shame, condemnation? Could it be the pursuit of idols in your life, a relationship? All of those things become jars that slow us down. What do you need to let go of today so that you can begin to share and tell people about Jesus? There's an urgency in this woman, right? Five minutes after she tastes the living water, she's now going into town where she's hated, y'all. Like, they don't like her there. Shame, gossip, condemnation. And what does she do? She goes and wants to tell them how they can find life. Now, if I'm, that's me, right? The people that have wronged me, gossiped about me, I want to tell them, they need to go to hell, not how to get to heaven. That's how I play it. But that's not what she's doing. The enemies, the people have wronged her. Now she wants them to have life. Why? Because she's tasted life. She has been a recipient of God's grace. And now she is an extender of God's grace. Even unto her enemies. If you are a recipient of God's grace... That is why and how you extend grace to other people. You cannot be a recipient of God's grace and then not extend it to other people and fall into judgmentalism, bitterness towards people. We are recipients and we are extenders. So she quickly moves. Now here's what she doesn't do. She doesn't wait to go to Bible Seminary College. Well, I could really share this, but I need to complete my share Jesus without fear Bible study. I need to really get in my class and really work together. And I, she, I mean, she still has her live-in boyfriend, right? She hadn't even done that yet. She didn't handle that issue, and she's already running into Why? Because radical urgency to share Jesus doesn't require more knowledge. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And she knows Jesus, She's freed up. She's not jammed up by all that shame and fear and condemnation anymore. She has been emboldened by the power of the gospel. Some of you today, you still hang on to that past. You've got something you've done in your past and you think that that, uh, that, that denies you or doesn't make you equipped to go share the gospel with other people. What if they only knew? I am so busted up. Even right now, as I speak to you, I'm walking through some dark things. God can't use me at all. Listen, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation now, and there's no condemnation ever. It's all paid for. There's not one penny that has not been paid for by the cross. All of it. Lay all that shame and guilt down and away and begin to walk emboldened like this Samaritan woman. I think another reason that we get numb to the urgency of sharing Jesus with people is because we live in this southern Bible Belt culture. And we think, and I know we think this, everybody's heard about Jesus. Everybody has. Why do we have to keep telling people? All the people around me, I know everybody knows who Jesus is. Listen, I want to tell you what maybe they have, but have they heard it from you? They might have been invited to church. But have they actually heard the gospel from you? See, that's what you're called to do. To make sure that everyone that you come in contact with, every neighbor, friend, coworker you don't assume that they know the gospel. You tell them the gospel. That's what you do. That's my favorite thing to do as a, as a pastor when I have meetings and coffees and those kind of things. And I pull people in. And listen, I promise you, there's tons of people out there that don't know the gospel. They've been to church. They think they know who God is and I believe in God, but they've never sat down with a believer and said, this is God, this is Jesus. They've never heard that story. And we've got to push through that. And, and, And every single person that we come in contact, you make sure they have heard the gospel on your watch. You and I will be accountable for every person we passed And we didn't share the gospel with him. Now, that won't be for condemnation and judgment. But we'll have to answer to the Lord for that. We must take seriously the command. Now, here's what else uh, is is important to see here. She's labeled probably a fanatic. I would say that today, the, the, the modern culture would say, this is a fanatical lady. She's running around the town telling people about Jesus. That's fanatical. That's, that's aggressive. That's a little bit too harsh. Can you just dial it back some? Right. This is normative Christianity, normative biblical Christianity. When we see the Bible, we lay out uh, the book of Acts and all the gospels. This is what normal people in the gospel did, not what happens today normative Christianity is sin. You find life and you go and you live sin. Now here's what else she did. And this is where we get confusing with living sin. Sometimes we believe that living sin just means that you have to go and be in the community. Hey, I, I just have to go and be around lost people. And that is a part of it. You definitely can't just isolate yourself from the world. You have to engage the world and to seek to save the lost. But This Samaritan woman didn't just run into town and start hanging with all the local folk. She used her words. She told people about Jesus Christ. So living sent is about living the gospel. Yes, a life transformed. But it is also about proclaiming the gospel. Using words. Maybe you've heard the... Uh, quote that's out there sometimes, and I I, I need to continue to lay out false quotes before you. It says, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Don't know if you've ever heard that before, but the idea is here, you can just live the gospel, live like Jesus, and then eh, you could use words if necessary. You don't have to really tell people about Jesus and share the gospel. And that's so wrong. It's so wrong. Didn't Paul tell us in Romans that how beautiful the feet are those who preach the good news and people cannot hear if they're not told the gospel? They have to hear it. So living sin is not about us just getting into our car with our Jesus is Lord bumper sticker and expecting people to come to Christ. Just because I listen to the fish don't mean nobody's getting saved. My lack of cussing and my lack of getting drunk has never saved a single person on the face of the earth. No one catches my Christianity. They have to hear the gospel. Living sin is both. Living as a gospel-changed person who found life, but now proclaiming the story of how God rescues and saves people. That is living sin. Now, the other piece here is when I, the Samaritan woman could have tasted the the water of life and completely fell into a moment of savoring the Savior for herself. I'm drinking this water. I'm not telling nobody. This is awesome. If they come, then maybe there will not be enough for me. It's my little secret. No, that's not what she did. She ran and told everybody. Why? Because she was selfless. Living sin is being selfless. And this is what's hard for us because the air that you and I breathe, the world that we're raising our kids into now, is so opposite of selfless. We are the most selfish generation of people that ever walked the face of the earth. In a culture that says promote self, exalt self, uh, comfort yourself, provide for yourself, take pictures of yourself... We are now faced with a Christianity that says, deny yourself, crucify yourself. Because selflessness is the way unto heaven. It's not promoting of self, it's denial of self. You have to think about other people than yourself. We have to fight against our culture discipling us in that vein. Let's go to 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not Know about? I think he's hiding skittles or something. So the disciples said to the one, or "said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat?" And Jesus said to him, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So that we know, we're seeing here the humanity." of Jesus, right? They get back. They've got him a combo. Jesus, hey, you want to eat? He's like, no, I don't need anything. i got some other food. He's hiding something. What, who got some? Did somebody else give Jesus something to eat? He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Right? Matthew 10, the feeding on the will of God, every word from the mouth of God. You say, saying, my, my food is to do the will of God. Now, what he's displaying here, that we're seeing the humanity of Jesus, right? He was hungry. Don't think he wasn't hungry. He was, just like he was weary at the well last week. The full humanity of Jesus. So, of course, he was hungry. So, what is he teaching us? What is he teaching his disciples? He's saying, in order to live sin, you must subjugate your physical desires to do the will of the Father. All of our natural, physical, emotional desires must be subjugated to the will of God. Our physical hungry, right? Our, our, our physical thirst, yes, we're talking about those. But what about some other things that we desire our flesh that must be subjugated to the will of God? Our desire to be liked. If your desire to be liked is greater than your desire to do the will of God, you're not living sent. If you desire to be popular, to be liked by all people, you won't say hard things to them. Now, you have fallen short and you are now subjugating yourself to not to the will of God, but you're putting your own desires above the will of the Father. Living sin requires us to lay down all of our desires falling under the will of God. What is the will of God? Is the will of God this mysterious force-like thing? uh, uh, I have to seek it through prayer? Or is it just this thing out there? The will of God? I'm not really sure what the will of God is in my life. I don't really know what he's called me to do. Listen, the will of God is the revealed will of God, first and foremost. What is the revealed will of God? It's this book. It's this book. That's why Jesus said that that this is the bread of life and feed on it. Every single word of the mouth of God. Eat on it, feast on it, because this is where His will is found. If you're going to live sent, you have to know His word. I'm sensing something in a, in a generation uh, of, of Christian people who... Um, would lean on more of a spiritual aspect of God. Although he's, we worship him in spirit and truth, we do know that. But use words like this, they feel that God's will is, well, I feel God leading me to go do this. Or, or I've been praying about this and I really feel the Lord leading me here. God's leading. All, all these, they put it in the spirit realm, right? I'm not ex- denying the fact the spirit realm, I'm not saying that. But my point is that so many people are trying to seek the will of God, but they never crack open their Bible. His revealed will is right there most of the time. Right There is obviously spiritually discerned things in there, but the Word of God. Have you gone to the Word of God to know the will of God of your life? We you have to run there. And here's where we don't run. We cannot run to fuzzy Warm, Pinterest quotes. Listen, I, I, we can giggle. Listen, and I'm usually, I'll, I'll bust up the men in here. Y'all know I'll come at you. Listen, ladies, you are typically more susceptible to falling into the entrapment of fuzzy, warm, affirming things. Listen, be careful. Be careful. This is where you find life. When you're weak, you don't run to another quote. You run to the Word of God. This is where you will be supplied. This will give you everything that you want. Now, truly, if it is what you want to seek is relief, if you're seeking attention, that's a different story. If you want relief, if you want life, you have got to find it in the revealed Word of God. That's what living sin means. All right. So here's where... um, Let's keep going in the text, and we're in verse 35 here. Do not say... There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for the eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus goes to illustration story, speaks a figurative manner. Uh, they're in an agrarian society, so harvest, fields, all of those things. And he's speaking to them because the culture, what's happening, this is about December, January. And what the Jews would do is they would typically, they would, they would do all the labor in the field and they would sit back for four months and wait for the harvest to come. So they're in this phase of just sitting and waiting. And that's what he says, don't you say Wait four months to come? They would say, kick back and just wait. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that. The harvest is ripe now. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Don't coast back. Don't sit back and wait. Eyes up, boys, is what he says. Look around you. It's already happening right now before you. He says, the harvest is now. It's not four months. Look at the harvest right now. The Samaritan woman. Harvest. The ones that would be coming to town here shortly, harvest is reaping right now, not wait till later. And that is what I feel many Christians also begin to do, this mentality of sit back and wait, right? To rest on our own accolades or maybe our own salvation and say, well, I'm good. Let me just kick back and wait on Jesus, right? He came 2,000 years ago. It doesn't seem to be hurrying now. Let's just sit back and wait and arrive at heaven safely. And Jesus says, no, 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 Uh uh-uh. I didn't do it to save you. All my people, I've got all these people on the face of the earth, the ones that I've chosen for the foundation of the world, i got to go get them. The harvest is plentiful. They're everywhere, and I need you to step in. I need you to go get them for me. Harvest is ripe. And he, he says something also very profound, too, in this text. He says, you are reaping what you did not labor for. What does he mean by that? He's saying, I alone accomplish salvation. You are the fruit. It's not because of your labor, it's because the labor of Christ on the cross. That one work. That one work, that one labor is now the benefit. We are benefit, the the reaping, the harvest of what one man's labor did on the cross. It's not us. As you go out and you sow the seeds. It's God alone who saves, not you. You don't blow it, and you don't get glory for it. God does. Listen to what John Calvin says about this idea of of sowing and sharing the gospel and who gets glory. It says, The gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain, but it is brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. Where God has sent it in our hands. Why would He entrust us To do that, wow. God could have written the gospel in the sky, right? He could have just done anything, but he actually put it in the hands of us to take it where he has sent it so that he alone gets glory for salvation. Let's keep going in the text. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. There it is again. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many, many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, context here. We have to remember that Jesus is on the beginning end of his three-year ministry. He's trying to build an empire of his church, of people, the masses. He wants to get as many people as he possibly can. Like, wouldn't you think that Jesus would go after the most influential people, most powerful? Uh, good, righteous, moral dudes and girls on the face of the earth. Isn't that the people that Jesus should go get if he's going to build a masses? Don't you think Jesus would say, hey, I'm going to build an awesome, cool building, and I'm just going to build it, and they will come, and I'm going to preach on Sundays, and they're just going to come, and it's going to be awesome. That's not what he does. He goes the opposite. He stops at a well in the desert to talk to a promiscuous woman, the town floozy. That's how he starts this. Now, if you're a businessman or an entrepreneur in this room, is there a more inefficient way to build an empire than that right there? <laughs> I mean, you don't do that. You don't go after this woman who has no influence in society, guilty, doesn't have a high position. She's a woman. Like they, In this culture, she's not even talking to men. But yet he does that. Why? Why does he stop and use this woman? Because historically, God has never been into the cool kids. (laughs) Never has he been about the cool kids. He's never been into the cool kids. They don't woo him. They don't stir up his affections. God has always been about the weak, the broken, the messed up, jacked up weirdos. The weak, us. Right? Why? Who's Jesus? Born out of wedlock? Adopted by Joseph, a man out of Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Grew up, probably bullied, probably picked last on the kickball team. Least likely to succeed in his school. Homeless, drifter humiliated on the cross in the most shameful public way possible. That is who Jesus Christ is. So he's never been about the cool kids. Listen, Christians, we are not the cool kids. We are the weak. We are the busted up. We're the jacked up weirdos. That's us. And you have to embrace it. Why? Why does... Why is God wooed and drawn to weak people? Because that's how he looks most effective and most amazing. That's how he gets the glory. That's how you would have no shot at saying that you did anything because God uses us. Weak people. And when the skeptics come to me and come at me and come at you and say, well, Christianity is for weird people and weak people. I'm like, yeah. It sure is. I'll agree with you on that point. The problem that I disagree with you is because you are weak and weird and you just don't know it yet. (laughs) We are the weak-minded. We are the weak-hearted. We need Christ as a crutch. The problem is, brother, you just don't know your legs are busted. You need it. Come and get some of this crutch, which is Jesus Christ. Some of you are fighting too hard to be the cool kids, the cool adults. And you think... If I can, or you try to tell yourself, if I can just achieve this, this status, this level, this job, this place in school, this team or whatever, then God could really use me. And I'm going to tell you today that that could be the very thing that's keeping God from using you, is your desire to be the cool kid, because he's never been about the cool kids. And we have to embrace that, right? We're freaks, we're aliens. And man, you know why that's awesome? Because we're God's kids. Like that, that, that's, what, that's what comforts the soul is not the approval of man, it's the approval of God. Right? We don't have to fit into this culture. We have a hope for heaven, and we need to understand we don't need to be like the culture, right? We're totally different kind of people. As we close out this story, something I want to think about, what we're watching happen, and this is where we have to really dive into because so many people view Christianity as this spectator sport mentality and let the professionals and the pastors do all the ministries sharing the gospel and all those things what's happening in this text Jesus watching disciples watching Samaritan woman all in it Boy, she's doing all of it come and see the man she's proclaiming Jesus Christ while the professionals are watching you see that's awesome and that is his evangelism, his evangelistic strategy for gathering up all the sheep in the world. Not for us to invite a lot of people to one place so that one man may proclaim the gospel, but that 500 of you would launch out of this place and go share the gospel with every single person that you come in contact with. He gets great glory not when I preach the gospel, but when Good, Lord-loving men and women who've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ engage the world with the gospel. Friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors. That is the evangelistic strategy of our God. The story here that we're seeing is that we we are the woman at the well. I said this earlier today. We are all the woman at the well. Everyone. I am the woman at the well. I didn't have five husbands. I was a bad husband. I was a cheat. I was a liar, a drunkard, someone who pursued relationships more than God, engaging in sinfulness, did what everybody else did. I just kind of fit in, right? It was easy for me to do that. Imagine passion and zeal that I have unredeemed, right? Imagine what I could do. I did great things for me until God made an appointment with me. He did it. He set an appointment at a little bitty vine called Florence Baptist Church in Murfreesboro. He says, I'm showing up today. I'm there. You don't know I'm coming. You ain't seeking me. I'm seeking you. He showed up. Appointment. Boom. Gave me the living water. And because I've Been bought, sought, drunk from the well of life. My life has been forever changed. And I'm not soaking it up for myself. I want other people to know about where they can find life. For you, many of you in this room today, I want you to know where you can find life. We're all the Samaritan woman. It doesn't even matter if you grew up in church. At some point in your life, God showed up. And you were just as guilty as the Samaritan woman. It doesn't matter if you were birthed into the first pew or the back row Baptist. It doesn't matter. You were just as guilty as the Samaritan woman. Until God set his affections on you before the foundation of the world. Said so this is the appointment. This is when I'll break through. Set it up and redeemed you. Saved you from religion. Right? And then there's others, your divine appointment was in a ditch on your knees maybe, crying out to God, desperate dark time of your life, no hope, and He intervened. He gave you life. And He did it so that you could take that life that you've tasted and seen, and it is good, and you would go tell other people about it. Saved you to send you. That's the story. We find life and we live Sin. so as we charge you today and really the text really charges you to do this not not me it calls us to move where do we start i'm like how do i do this where do i begin to share this gospel and live sin in the community listen you might need to share it with somebody in the room who has god put on your heart that needs to hear the gospel story from you personally. Not the masses. Let's not worry about the masses. You see, that's the point of the story here, is that Jesus, he could have been about the masses, but he stopped because he had time for the one. He had a lot of stuff to do. Busy God. He has time to stop one single woman in the desert at a well. Who is your one? Who's that person in your life right now? I, I believe you know who that is. You probably think that they know the gospel, but you're afraid to share it with them. You don't want to offend them. They say they're a Christian, but I'm really not sure. And if I say something, they might get mad. And Listen, that's all fear, shame, guilt. If you truly love that person and you care for their soul, and there's an urgency of eternity in you, you'll talk to them about it. You'll share the gospel. They stick around, love you forever. If they don't, it's not on you. It's not on you. This is what we're called to do. So let me pray and then we'll close out today. Father, we love you. Uh, You just put us in the middle of a story. God, I pray as we walk through this story, and um, first of all, that people in this room would find life if they don't have it. That they would know that Jesus Christ is where life is found. Not a physical life, not a breathing life, but a spiritual life in eternity and an abundant life now. I pray that they would give their life to Jesus and stop drinking from wrong wells. Today, would you move them to do that? God, today, as we see the response of the Samaritan woman, she ran out with an urgency for people's souls. If you wanted others to know, would you... Give us that urgency. If we lack it, give it to us. Put a burden on our hearts for eternity of people. Help us to lay down shame and guilt and condemnation and those things that the devil would scheme towards us to say that you cannot be used by God. That is not from you. God, we're thankful that every single time that the enemy, Satan, attacks us in that place, he finds you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. As we uh, close out today, we're going to maybe just a moment where you just kind of pause and reflect and maybe pray for that one that you know that you've got to take that message, a personal, personal story to this week, a personal gospel to them. And I, I hope that you do that this week beyond measure. And I'd love to hear your stories. Contact me this week. I'd love to share, equip. I'd love to rejoice in those things with you. And then after that, we'll give uh, we'll give our ties. We'll give our offerings. Thank you for generosity. We do that because we want to send more people to go out and reach more women at the well. They're all out there across the world. God's sheep are everywhere. And often when we say, why is Jesus tearing? Why is he not coming back? Because he still has sheep out there. They're everywhere. Until he gathers up all the sheep, he'll tarry. We gotta go get the sheep. That's what we do. And then these guys, the band is gonna lead us through an anthem song. Let me say, just kind of pause for a minute. This is an anthem, charge, get up, go get them, Jesus kind of an anthem. It's a charge. And I pray that's the posture of us as we sing this song that we would believe the words that we're getting ready to sing that we would truly say Lord take it all take all of my life my heart is yours and we would sing it like an anthem of people who've tasted life in Jesus Christ can we sing like that amen hey that's awesome thank you guys for coming we'll see you next Sunday